this is way right. I mean, this is way right. This is wow. 100 yards right. Two perfect shots, Michael. Got me in the water on one and over the green on the other. The ball itself has its own energy, or life force, if you will. Its natural environment is in the hole. So why don't you send them home? His bags are packed. He's got his airplane tickets. Bring him to the airport. Ladies and gentlemen, coming at you live from the 2024 Minnesota Golf Show. This is the Break 80 Podcast. My name is Stouds. To my far left, we got short-sighted Mike. To my immediate left, we got top 100 Tim. And before we get to our guest, uh, to my right this morning, I'd just like to say that we're honored to be here again. Uh, we were here last year, had a great time. Had John Ellis on the stage with us. Now PGA Tour winning caddy, major winning caddy, Ryder Cup caddy. Um, and we're honored to be here on the Josh Arnold Investment Consultant Podcast stage. Tim, before we get started with an interview, do you want to do a little wrap on what we got going on out here at the uh, golf show this year? Boy, is there a lot going on out there. There is a $100,000 pontoon putt sponsored by Nelson Marine just over the front of those tents that we cannot see right now, but we're excited to get there, especially with some of the lab putters available in the demo zone which is sponsored by Go Low Golf, some of the newest equipment. Also, we've got a second swing performance stage with tips and tutorials. Maybe you can learn how to break 80 over there if you haven't done so listening to our podcast. And we've got the 19th hole presented by Doogie McShanks to our right, to your left, if you're looking at us right now, where you can take on us, the break 80 boys, at a closest to the pin at Scottsdale's number 16. The uh, pontoon putt doesn't know it's going to hit it when I bring the lab broomstick over there. <laughs> we cruise in this summer. Just going to cheat our way to victory. We're going to be out on a boat this summer for sure. <laughs> well, with that being said, it's time to introduce our guest. Uh, this morning we have John Means with us, and it would take me a little while to run through your uh, list of things you've accomplished in the golf space. So instead of me going through all those things, I'm going to have you just give us a, a brief run through of just kind of your your career in golf, where you're at now, kind of how you started, and and just kind of give us a, a rundown. I mean, it could probably last maybe the entire show, but <laughs> it's it's like an interview. Bring us through your CV. What's your? Have you ever been in a hard position before in your life, and how did you get through it? Uh, well, yeah, you know, I'm not a spring chicken, so I do have I, I do have a few things uh, in the past. Uh, I grew up here in Minnesota, uh, Burnsville graduate. I've uh, got a scholarship to play college golf at the University of Tulsa, where I was introduced to uh, my freshman teammate and roommate, by a guy by the name of Hank Haney. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, so we played there for two years. The second year, they started a women's golf team there, and they brought in uh, this Mexican gal by the name of Lopez. Oh, wow. I've never heard of her, but she was a pretty good player. And the very first year that they had a women's team, this was back before the NCAA had women's golf, so it was NAIW. They won the national championship. So we go into the athletic director's. The athletic director calls us into the office after the second season, and he calmly tells us he's taken all the scholarships and money away from the men's golf team and given it to the women's golf team because they were so successful. <laughs> And I was like, okay, what do I do? I'm a little, you know, I'm a guy from Minnesota. I'm down here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't know where to go. Uh, got a phone call from the University of Oklahoma, 
And for $250 a semester, I was able to go to school at the University of Oklahoma and finish my career. So that made me, that experience made me want to go into college golf coaching. That was my whole goal in life. Was I wanted to, I thought I was going to be playing with Arnie and Jack. That was my goal. And when I got to college, I was going to be able to do that. I was going to play and get better. And I was going to be able to go out and play on the tour. And I discovered that's not how it works. And I wanted to dedicate my life uh, to make sure that all the players like me who had those dreams and goals would really have an opportunity to do that. So, Do you still... Uh connect with Hank every once in a while? Is that something? I mean, I know college roommates, after after time, you may not still... Well, you know, Hank has gotten... Well, Hank always always was a little full of himself. A little opinion, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. And, don't and, say, huh? And, and, and it's only, he's only gotten fuller as he's yeah. gotten older, so I haven't talked to him for a while. Uh, I think the last time I ran into him, I was asked to be a guest at the PGA um, Coaches Convention, where they bring together all the best teachers and, and Ask them to give their tips to, and there's about a thousand PGA pros in the audience. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be asked to be on there. And Hank and I were on the same day, not the same time, but we're yeah. on the same day. So that was about the last time I saw him. I'm curious, how far did $250 go back then? Because now it feels like you show up to the grocery store and you're out $250 in, in one fell swoop. Believe it or not, $250 back in those days was one semester's tuition. Oh, my goodness. In state. You get half a textbook state. today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was very fortunate because Tulsa was a private school, and I, obviously University of Oklahoma was public. So because I lived there for two years going to school at Tulsa, I was granted in-state tuition. So oh, nice. it worked out really well. So then what's the next step? You, you did your, you know, you, you played, probably had dreams of, did you actually try to make it? Did you? No, no. I, I, my, game, my game never got better. Um, back in those days, coaches were mostly part-time. When I got to Tulsa, our coach was actually an attorney. Um, he, Ron Streck, who you might remember, played on the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour. Ron was our captain, and he'd call Ron up on Sunday and say, okay, guys, we want you to play 54 holes this week, low five guys, meet me at the airport on Friday. <laughs> Seems and that's it's a gig. Like, that's quite the coach. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, we, you know he and we didn't have a golf course. Tulsa didn't have their own golf course. We had to sneak on golf courses. Tim, I, pro I, feel, that. I feel like Tim is literally the archetype of this guy. <laughs> I love this already. So, so you're just sneaking onto Southern Hills. We're sneaking onto everywhere. I, mean, I love that. And, and, and Southern Hills is one of them. I, oh, my I, goodness. I actually, I actually, we played there one day, and I hit a shot on the fifth hole. It's par three. and went in the water. And I angrily threw down another ball and hit a ball onto the green. And there's a guy standing in the group in front of us, a guy standing behind the green with his arms crossed. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, we're in so much trouble. I hit another ball on this, you know, on this yeah. great golf course, not thinking I can hit another ball because I'm in the water because there's a little creek or I could drop by it, you know. And I get up there, and the guy walks up, and he kind of walks over, and he sticks out his hand and goes, ha, I'm all Roberts. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't play the rest yeah. of the day. I was yeah, like, wow. <laughs> so was he impressed with your golf shot or what? Uh, he was not impressed okay. with my golf shot, but he was a great fundraiser. So he must have thought, you know, someday I'm going to be worth millions and millions. And, you know, I'd, I'd give to Oral Roberts University and to his mission. <laughs> so to, to carry on with your story. So I, after I graduated I, I, from college, I tried to get a job as a golf coach at a high school. 
I couldn't find that job. I, I mean, I just wanted to be a teacher. I graduated with an education degree. And I, so I thought, well, this is my start. I'll be a golf coach in high school. I couldn't find that. So I went to the National Physical Education Convention, uh, which was in New Orleans, kind of a boondoggle. You know, I'm a 22-year-old yeah. kid and get a chance <laughs> to go to New Orleans. I uh, was at the, at the board that had jobs listed, and an older gentleman comes over and says, you're looking for a job? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, did you ever think about going to grad school? And then nobody in my family had ever been to college before, so I didn't even know what grad school was. And, and I said, no. And he goes, why don't you come and talk to me? He gave me his card. So later that day, I went over and sat down and talked to him. And he was from Colorado State University, and he offered me a job as a, as a teaching, graduate teaching assistant, teaching physical education, get my master's degree. I had, and I got a salary, I think it was about $3,000 for the year. So back in those days, that was okay. I mean, I could pay my rent and live, but nothing else, but, and get my degree. So I went to Colorado State, and I was there for about 20 minutes when I discovered they did not have a men's golf program. So I put together a five-page plan, and I made an appointment with the athletic director, who was a former Detroit Lion lineman by the name of Thurman Fum McGraw, a huge man. And I walked in, and I introduced myself and said, I'd like to start a men's golf program. And he chuckled, and I gave him my business plan. And he looked at it, and he escorted me out of the office. It wasn't there very long. And about four or five days later, the, the physical education and the athletic department the same building. And about four or five days later, I'm walking down the hall, and he goes, John. And I go, yes, sir. And he goes, do you have a couple minutes? I go, yes, sir. He said, come on in my office. He said, I, I looked at your plan here. And he said, I've decided I'm going to give you the opportunity to start a golf program. And he goes... That's the good news. Here's the bad news. He said, you're, you get no salary, and your budget is $1,000. But you have unlimited use of the university's van and free gas. God, you, okay. you love those promotions, right? Here's, here's your new promotion. There's no pay. Uh, your resources are pretty much the resources you had. Yeah. And good luck. It sounds just like us three high school coaches. Yeah. <laughs> like, it sounds, like it sounds identical to what we have to do every spring. But, but it was an opportunity. I mean, it was, it was an opportunity for me to start doing what I've been, you know, what I wanted to do ever since I got to college. And so I put an ad into the, the student newspaper you know, looking for golfers, and I had about 20 kids show up. And we didn't have a golf course to play at, so we'd go out onto the football field and have them hit golf balls. And I, from that group of guys hitting golf balls, I took eight kids, and I said, okay, you're my golf team. So then I went to the local golf courses, and they weren't going to let me use the golf course for free, but I could buy memberships. Well, there was two golf courses owned by the city. So a membership for a college student was $100. So I bought four golf, scholar, golf um, memberships. Remember, I had eight kids. You rotated them. I put four in this course, and I put four in that course. <laughs> so now I had $600 left in my budget. <laughs> Unlimited gas, though. Uh, and there was, a, there was a conference, and they were in the whack, but there was another conference that was a golf conference only called the Rocky Mountain Intercollegiate Golf Association. And that was University of Colorado, University of Denver, Colorado Springs, uh, 
I uh, can't even remember all of them now. Uh, Northern Colorado. It was just kind of the schools yep. that were in the state. And so we got in our van and we would go play. We got to play the great golf courses. We got to play Cherry Hills. And we got to play oh. great golf courses there. Usually one-day events, so you drive down and you know leave at three o'clock in the morning and drive to where you're going to go. I, I, gave, I gave the kids three dollars a day to eat on, which was good. You know, <laughs> we had one shirt. I washed it every time we played, and I gave it back to the kids to wear. Um, and we finished fourth the first year in that conference. So it was early spring, maybe uh, April. I get a phone call from the United States Military Academy, and they asked me if I would be interested in coming out for an interview to be a physical education instructor slash head men's golf coach. And I'm like, okay, here we are. We're on our way. This is setting up to be a movie. I mean, you got you take a bunch of randos and get eight guys, and now we're taking fourth, and then we're. I mean, come on! How did we start this movie? Black and white down a, a dusty trail in Oklahoma somewhere. It, the dust bowl's rolling through. It's very dramatic. We're bootstrapping our way into golf coaching, and and now you've hit. Well, we won't even say the big time because there's so much to come ahead of you still. Well, but for, for me, it was the big time. Uh, you know, get a chance to go to the United States Military Academy. Are you kidding? Uh, went out for the interview. I got the job. Uh, met a guy by the name of Bill Purcells when I was there. There was this funny name basketball coach that was there by the name of Shuka Shaka Szeski. Yeah. Some funny Polish name uh, who ended up doing yep, He did okay. He, he yeah, did, did okay. okay. Right. So, I mean, I got to meet some really great people. Uh, the, the list of coaches there that have, you know, have been in, in their major sports especially are phenomenal. So I got to pick their brains a little bit before they left and learned a lot. Uh, started recruiting. Uh, the team was okay. It's Division One school, but it's Army. And remember, when you graduate, you have five years, you have to serve in the military. So trying to convince a high school player who wants to play professional golf to come and play golf for you and then spend five years in the military where they may never touch a golf club for that five years, really difficult. Uh, but that's how I learned how to recruit because it was so hard. I had to figure out how am I going to do this. And it took three years, but we went to the NCAA championship the fourth year and we went to went eight straight years we went to the NCAA championship with that team. Now, they, they weren't good enough to win, but they're good enough to get there. And so now I got my taste of, mm -hmm. okay, this is what I want. Now I want an opportunity to win a national championship. And I, I couldn't do it there. I'm at Penn State playing in a tournament, or teams at Penn State playing in a tournament. I'm sitting in my room before cell phones. My room phone rings, thinking it's one of my guys in another room. I pick it up. It's Rick Bay, who was the athletic director at the University of Minnesota. And he's calling to ask me if I'd be interested in coming up for an interview for the University of Minnesota golf job. How in the heck did and he know you were? And that's I have no idea. I, you know, it's athletic directors have a mystical, magical <laughs> way about them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I immediately I said yes. Uh, and I came, up on a, I came up on a visit. And they narrowed it down to two candidates. They narrowed it down to me and a fellow by the name of Lehman. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> The Tom. Yeah. I was wondering if Tom or Jim. The, the, Tom or Jim. The, the Lehman. All right. Not so, the agent. So actually, actually, it's because of me that Tom Lehman was successful. Well, cheers to that, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, he, it, owes, he owes that major to you. He does. <laughs> but, so here's what happened. 
Tom had been playing on what was was it the Nike Tour maybe back then? I think so. He was playing on the Nike Tour and he was struggling. He was missing cuts and he had no money left. And so he applied for the job. And at that time, the job description was you were going to run the golf course and you were going to run the golf team. And in the wintertime at the golf course, you were going to rent skis so they could go cross-country skiing. <laughs> and, and Tom wanted to do that, but he also wanted to still continue to play. Well, right before they made a decision to do this, he wins a Nike Tour event. And boom. Yep. Everything, everything in his life changed from that point on. So I got the job. I was in charge of the golf course. I was in charge of the golf team, and it, it took me about a week to figure out this is not going to work. I was able to do something when I got to the University Golf Course. They used to have a par 3 course. Um, to the, If you're standing on Larpenter and looking at the golf course, there's a par 3 course on the far right end. I turned that into a driving range. So they went from $25,000, and it was owned by the athletic department then. So they they went from $25,000 a year in revenue to the very first year, $350,000 in revenue. And you, if you've ever driven by there, you know that range oh, yeah. is just packed. Yeah. Uh, but I was able to get that done. And then I, it took me about two months to convince Bay that I need to be on the road recruiting. I, you know, I want to make a nationally competitive program here, and I cannot run the golf course. Or the, or the skis. Or the skis. Or the skis. Yeah, I mean it was very a, important. Right well, now. it's prime time in the winter to go watch the national junior events that are played in the winter. You know the uh, AJGA tour and the Hurricane tour, and you know they've got all these great junior tournaments, and you got to be out there watching these kids. So he agreed with it, and and I became a, a full time head coach and spent all my spare time on the road, and that's kind of how I really learned how to recruit. I spent a lot of time in living rooms and. Uh, you know, going and watch all these tournaments and meeting the moms and dads and figuring out the kind of players I wanted, uh, players I could teach something to, players that had dreams and goals like I had dreams and goals but didn't have an opportunity or didn't have someone to work with them that could be able to teach them that. Um, and, and that's how I started to pull it in. So this is this is early 80s right now? This is, no, I was, at, I was at Army for 11 years. So okay. I, I left Army in 91 and got to the U in 91. Okay. So what you're saying, it's the it's the Johnnies and the Joes, not the X's and the O's. Oh, for sure. You've got to get the horses. <laughs> for sure. It's not, you're not going to change somebody into a player. You've got to find them first and then make them a little bit better. That's correct. And, and, and I'll tell you, the toughest thing about recruiting is you want to find how big their heart is. And that's really tough because I haven't been in a machine like that, that that's able to do it. So you, for me, I would have to watch the kids play three, four, five events. I, I want to see them make a double bogey and see if they, you know, bang their club against their bag. Um, I want to see if they, if they three-putt, if their mom and dad turned their back on them. I, I needed to know everything about those kids. And then once I get those kids in... We would meld them together, and we'd become one unit. And, and I know that seems strange in a game that's an individual sport. You So, I mean, you play college golf, and there's five players count four as a team, but if you as an individual go out and do everything you're supposed to do, and, and you do everything you're supposed to do, and you're, everybody does what they're supposed to do, the team falls together. Mm. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's, it's team golf, but it's really not. It just depends on how you how you address it to the so players. So it's like you're, you're playing for something more than yourself. It's kind of like when they describe the Ryder Cup, right? Like, you know this putt means 
it's not an individual mindset. It's more of a, God, this putt means to my team. I need to, I need to grind this out. You're exactly you know, right. Not, I can't give up on, you know, myself more than my team here. You, so. You're 100% correct. Yep. So is there a correlation between number of four letters, four letter words used <laughs> on the golf course and success on, on your team? Because I'm hearing you want to see that grit, that passion. You know, four letter words can be advantageous at times, at times, <laughs> just not all the time. And especially if the moms are standing over <laughs> to the side. Uh, you got to mind your P's and Q's then. <laughs> Absolutely in positively. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, at some point you got some talent in. And from what it sounds of, of it, you had to go down under to get a few of those. How does that work? So I, I'm, I'm, I, the University of Minnesota's golf program had been finishing last in the Big Ten Championship for, let's see, since 1972. They had finished last or next to last just about every year. And... I went and looked at all the rosters, and all the rosters were primarily Minnesota and Wisconsin players. And what I discovered was that as good of athletes as we have in Minnesota, the golfers are two years behind. So I, I, I made a decision that the depth of my golf program was going to be Minnesota kids, but each year I need to bring in one integral player, one guy that could go out there and shoot low. And the only place I could go to do that was overseas. I brought in Brad Elder from Texas. I brought, you know, I recruited Phil Mickelson. I recruited Tiger Woods. I, I did all those things. But you can't bring them up to minus 20 degrees and normally snow, you know, for three or four months and convince them that you can get them ready to play in the PGA Tour. I'm, I'm going to have to ask, too, how close were they to coming? How close was Phil? How Did close you get in the Tiger? door at least? Yeah. Tiger was just right on, on the <laughs> precipice of being a gopher. Almost here. <laughs> Well, not that close. <laughs> but but was it for lack of effort on my part? I just want you to know that. Darn uh, it, Earl. I mean, I've watched Tiger and Phil play since they were 14. So, I mean, I, I knew them uh, from all the tournaments that I went and watched. But I thought I'd give it a chance. Yeah. And I did. And it was not successful. So, overseas, and I'm sure you guys know this, but uh, there are no college golf programs except for in the United States of America. So... If you go overseas and you find some talent over there and convince them that they can get their education for free uh, and that they can play great golf courses and that you can help them, you know, get to the PGA Tour, that's the selling point. And so um, I, had, I had a player from California whose father was a hockey player and senior amateur champ, United States senior amateur champ that grew up in Minnesota. And he played hockey at USC, back when USC had a hockey team. And he went, because he won the US Senior Amateur Championship, he was in Australia playing in the Australian Senior Open. No, I'm sorry, Australian Amateur. And he was paired with, the, with an Australian kid by the name of Brad James. And after the tournament was over, he called me and said, I got a kid that is senior in high school, really good player that doesn't have any place to carry on his career. And so I got a hold of Brad, and for the and only player in my entire career that I didn't watch play, you know, go see and watch play, offered him a scholarship to come and play for me. Well, he got here. He ended up being a prop player. He wasn't eligible to play. So I started teaching him how to teach. He helped me build uh, the driving range, and on the back of the driving range, we built our own practice facility, 
Brad dug the bunkers by hand. Um, he helped me run my camps. He, I paid him kind of a salary based on our golf, you know, the revenue I got in from our golf camps that we ran. Uh, and that was my connection to Australia. So Brad opened the door for me with the Australian Institute of Sport. And I would go down there every year in the wintertime because that's their summer. Perfect for us because, you know, we're not doing anything here. And I went down there in the wintertime and I would find, you know, watch the good talent and then try to talk to him. And that's where I found James McLean. And, um, I mean, we had a nice run of Australian players. And I don't think Minnesotans, maybe some do, don't realize how good James McLean was in college. I, you know, I've been fortunate to be around college golf for 40 years and I have never ever, including Tiger, I've never seen a talent as much as James McLean. And he, he, it, he showed me more shots than, than I ever even thought were possible. Um, amazing player. He was the number one ranked tennis player in Australia. I found that out after I got him here. Uh, we used to work out in the winter. I'm talking about tremendous athlete. We used to work out in the winter on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we would start from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, we'd play basketball. And I, I didn't want to run the bleachers. You know, I just, I, that, to me, that was boring. So I said, well, right, we're going to play basketball. And I love to play basketball. And we had some great basketball players. Ben Grieve, who, you know, yeah, married yeah. Lindsey Whalen. Yeah. You know, great basketball players that were golfers that played for us. So James wasn't a basketball player. Cricket player, great cricket player, but number one ranked tennis player. So we're playing basketball, and one day there's a long rebound. James gets it. I'm on defense. It's James against me, and he is out of control, dribbling that ball as fast as he can. I plant myself at the free throw line, right? I'm going to take the charge. He hurdles me. What? Like Vince Carter And I'm 6'4". I'm he hurdles me. Now, the ball bangs off the backboard, but I'm like, you know, going like this as I'm watching him jump over my yeah. over, over my body. I'm like, I, unbelievable the things he could do. I always wondered how McLean got into that air duct. I guess he just jumped right in. He just jumped right so, in. I've been there before because <laughs> right around the time I was in, when I was in sixth grade, I played in this all-star basketball camp, and Sam Jacobson was there. And he went right over the top of me and just hammered a dunk down. <laughs> why, why are you on the same floor as Sam Jacobson? Because he was helping at this camp. And they, and they picked out, like, you know, five or six all-star kids, you know, to play. Like, it was, like, Sam Jacobson okay. and Kyle Sander from Thief. It was up yeah. north, you know. And he jumped right over me and just hammered, just tomahawked one. It was, like, it, was like a badge, it was like a badge of honor, though, as a sixth grader. So you know the feel. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I got to ask you, you were, you were talked about he had shown you more shots than you had ever could imagine. Now, where does that come from? Because a lot of people are starting to, you know, get into golf, and, and they're more of the technical variety. Is this a kid that would basically be in his backyard and just experiment? I mean, he's obviously got tremendous hand-eye coordination. He's the top-ranked tennis player, too. But, like, at some point there has to be some imagination, some creativity that he just figured out on his own, you he, know, instead of getting taught. Yeah, for sure. I mean, tremendous hand-eye coordination. I mean, he could do things with a golf club I just never even imagined. Um, this bunker, the, he hit this bunker shot. Uh, I'll tell the story again. This is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. We're playing a practice round in the NCAA championship he won at New Mexico. And the NCAA rules, you can only allow one ball during the practice round. So we're on this, I can't what? remember, six hole or seventh hole. And it's a dogleg left, about 367, and there's a pond and the green slopes heavy toward the pond, 
butt toward the tee box. So we're standing on the tee box, and I said, all right, guys, I said, we, you need to hit a 215-yard drive here to the corner, and then we wedge on the green, make a putt for birdie, and go to the next hole. And James says, coach, I can drive the green. And I said, yeah, and the green's well bunkered, and, and, and again, it slopes back toward the water. And I'm like, yeah, James, I know you can drive the green, but that's not the play here. You put too many things in play. He goes, but coach, I can drive the green. Like, James, we only have one ball to play in the practice round. Just hit your 215-yard shot, which for him was a seven iron. Just, you know, hit your 215-yard shot, and we're going to play it there. Coach, I can drive this green. I'm like, all right, fine. Hit a ball. Hits it, and hits it right at the pin. It flies over the green and lands in the bunker. We walk around. The kids hit their second shots in. We walk around. His ball is buried in the bunker. You can only see about four dimples on a downhill lie to a short pin to a green that's sloping straight to the pond. And the pond is lapping the green. It's not like there's, you know, 10 yards of fairway or something. And, and uh, it, 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 from my guessing what you and, I, you and I know, the way to hit that shot when it's totally buried is you shut the face, you beat down on it, the ball pops up, and then it runs for about a week. Well, it's not going to run for a week. It's going to go right in that pond. And so I'm standing back there, and I said to James, I said, see, this is why we don't hit driver. I said, now you're, if you hit your bunker shots, it's going to go in the pond, so we've got to play this sideways, and now you're chipping on the green to a short-sided pin, you know, and you have to make a, you have to one putt. And, it, and the only fallacy in James' game was he's not a, not a great putter. And so I didn't want to have him that make a six-footer for a par. And he goes, Coach, what are you talking about? He said, shot's easy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, he, so he steps in there. The, the ball, I mean, the ball is buried on this downslope. And he turns his sand wedge. I, I wish I could, wish we were on TV so I could show you. But he turns his sand wedge so that the face of the club is pointing straight up in the air and the hosel of the golf club is directly behind the golf ball. And I'm looking at this going, what is he doing? And he gets up and he swings unbelievably hard. And he buries that hosel underneath the ball. The shaft stops. And the ball goes straight up in the air. And we played a golf ball called uh, Rexstar back then. And you could read the logo. You could read the Rexstar on the ball. There was no spin. It just came up in the air like that, you know, yeah. landed on the fringe and rolled down to about a foot. <laughs> and I said... Where in the world did you learn to hit that shot? Oh, Greg Norman showed me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Casual. <laughs> Casual. <laughs> oh, oh, Greg. See, we, we all coach. We've had the kid that says, oh, I can hit this shot, but it never turns out like that. Yeah. We always say lay up. We're yeah. not taking driver out. They bomb driver. They come off the quad. Absolutely. Positively. Absolutely. That theory yeah. won the national championship? Yes. Yep. Yep. It's so very bring, fun. Bring us through that because it, it, you came into a, a school that previously hadn't been to the NCAAs, was last in, in the division. What helped turn that around? Because you had eight consecutive NCAA bids and a national championship yep. in, in your run. Yep. So <laughs> we, the golf course was built for James. It, uh, it, it's, I think the... This is Lee Bolstad? No, or this was at New, uh, University of New Mexico oh, golf okay. course. Okay. And so we're playing at a higher altitude. Um, James was the longest player in college as a freshman. And so, and this golf course is, not that James didn't hit the ball straight, he did. But this golf course doesn't have a lot of trees on it. So there was some, there was some freedom in being able to swing. Uh, he went out the first day and shot 67. The rest of the team absolutely laid an egg. And we were in 30th place. There's 32 teams. 
We're in 30th place. James shot 67. They make a cut after round two, top 15. So kids are really upset. I mean, they're really upset because we played really well that year. And, you know, we were expecting bigger and better things, but they were nervous and scared. So we get back to the room. And before I get them out of the band, then I said, guys, I said, we're changing uniforms for tomorrow. He said, we're, wear we're wearing our final round shirt because we always play great golf in the final round. Psychology, and, and love the, it. And the kids, you know, they, you, you could, you know, they yeah. you'd see the look in their face. And so our, our poster that year at the university, we got into a swimming pool with scuba gear and we took our golf bags down in the bottom of the pool at the <laughs> University of Minnesota. This is awesome. And one guy has got a golf club in his hands, and, you know, he's swinging it. Obviously, it's a picture, but he's swinging this golf club. And our model that year was taking it deep. Yeah. So like, we talked about that, went out there the next morning, practiced, got ready to go. And I said, let's go, boys. Let's get out there and do it. So... Bill Thompson was the first guy off, and, and Bill hits the drive down the middle of the fairway, and second guy goes, and you could see the first green. Bill hits it on the green about 30 feet, drains the 30-footer, and he turns back to the tee box. So we got a player in the fairway, we got the other three guys up by the tee box, but they can see the green, and he turns back, he grabs his nose, and goes like this, <laughs> and you know, it starts to go down like he's, he, like he's going under. Yep. And the look on the player's faces when he did that, Long story short, we ended up making the cut. We shot the low round of the tournament, the second round, and we ended up from going from 30th to 13th. Um, James shot another good round. I think he shot 68 the second round. Um, and, and, you know, so now everything's good. We made the cut. We got everybody there. Uh, after the second round, the players came up to me and said, you know, Coach, here's what we want you to do. Because you know, on college golf, well, now in high school it's the same, but in college golf, Back then, you were allowed one coach on the golf course, and he's like a caddy. So he can do whatever he does but not carry the golf clubs. So sometimes the kids want me to stand on par threes and help them with their distances. Uh, but at this particular tournament, they said, Coach, we want you to walk with James. So that round, I walked with James, and he shot, I think he shot 70 or maybe 69. And he was right there close to the lead. And so we get up to the last day, and the players come up to me and said, Coach, why don't you walk with James again? Just walk with James. Get him through this. So I'm like, okay. He said, we got, this. We got, we got the golf covered. We're good here. You just take care yeah. of James. So I remember the last round, we're standing in the first tee box, and James said to me, the first time I ever heard this from him, he said, Coach, I'm nervous. I, think I, I can remember this like it was yesterday. And I said, James, do you have your ball with you? He goes, yeah. I said, take it out. And he took it out, and I said, look at that ball. Today is a day with you and your golf ball. He's your best friend. You tell him what you want him to do. And all you have to do is stay with your golf ball, period. I'll be with you. I'll be walking with you. We'll talk about distances and clubs and how the greens are breaking, and we'll do all that. But understand today is about you and the ball. I think that's our first approach on our first, first hole this year when we get out there, right, boys? Did you just figure out every swing thought you need right there, Jeff? Just exactly. They're all settled. That's what I'm going to tell myself. Well, so we got to figure out, though, how to, how to get the average golfer to break 80, not these Australian studs. <laughs> well, as I told you earlier, if you stop after 12, most players can do that. 
So that was, uh, that, I mean, that, that's pretty much uh, what, what happened that last round. I mean, we talked about all the shots. We talked about the distances and everything. And I'll tell the only time he did not listen to me, which is really strange, but we're coming down the last hole, and he's got a two-shot lead. And the last hole is a reachable par five for him, for sure. But it's reachable. Uh, Charlie Hall's in the field. I mean, it's reachable by, by quite a few of the players. So he got two-shot lead. And he hits his drive so far. It's a dogleg right. He hits his drive so far, it goes through the fairway into the desert and ends up in a bush. And he's probably 18 inches off the ground in this bush. So I walk over there. I'm like, okay, so we take an unplayable. You know, drop it over here. You know, don't have much of a shot, but we can blast it back on the fairway. You know, get ball on in four. You know, make a putt for par. And he goes, coach, I can hit this. And I, and I guarantee I've heard him say this. 10 times already this year, and he's <laughs> 10 for 10. And I'm like, James, this, this ball is 18 inches up in the air. He goes, Coach, I got this shot in the bush. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so he takes, out a, he takes out a sand wedge because it's the heaviest, you know, the heaviest club in the bag, and he swings his sand wedge, and I'll be damned if he doesn't hit it out about 140 yards right down the middle of the fairway. So... We're out there looking at the shot, and I said, James, this is a perfect three-quarter nine iron, back right pin, wind blowing from left to right. So, you know, the wind would take it right into the pin. He goes, no, coach, it's a wedge. I'm like, James, because a wedge is going to get high in the air. And I said, James, I said, it's just your, just your three-quarter nine iron. Just control the height, mm -hmm. hit the three-quarter nine iron. Coach, I know it's a wedge. I'm like, all right. I mean, you got to do that. Yeah. I mean, you can't put doubt in their mind. Yep. So, all right, let's go again. Sounds good. So he gets up and he, he tries to hit the wedge and he gets it up and it draws it a little bit and leaves himself about 35 feet. So it's okay. I mean, he's got two putts for a par and he's got a two-shot lead. So he's, he looks at the putt and he doesn't call me over. And in New Mexico, all the greens break toward downtown. And downtown is toward the hole, which means that this putt's faster than it mm. looks. Doesn't call me over. Doesn't ask for help. I'm like, ah. He gets up and hits the putt and knocks it 10 feet by. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so now he's got this 10-footer for par, and he doesn't ask for help. And he hits the 10-footer and leaves it about three inches short. So he makes a bogey. And now we got to wait, because Oklahoma yeah. State's leading the tournament. Charlie Hall plays for Oklahoma State, and Charlie's in second. And Charlie easily can get on the screen you know, with a driver and an iron of some kind. So James says, you know, go do your scorecard. And he says, what do you want to do? I said, go to the driving range. And again, no, no cell phones. Go to the driving range and just, just get ready. Get ready for a playoff. So we wait and wait and wait. And James on the driving range. And here comes Charlie Hall. And he leaves his second shot just short of the green. He's got 45 feet maybe. And hits his chip shot up to about five feet away from the hole. And if he makes it, they t they're tied. And he misses. And James walks away that's with the awesome. national championship. Well, <laughs> you call that backing into a win, but that's... <laughs> Take it any way you can get it. Sometimes you need that. That's, uh -huh. that's the breaks that some yeah. people get, you know. And that's a, that's a fine line between winning a tournament and sometimes losing. It's just... How the, the cards play yeah. is really so. And, and, and the team was right, by the way. The, the team kept getting better and better, and they, they went from 30th to 13th to 10th to 7th. And, oh. I, you know, if we had played better that very first round, we might, have, we might have won the national championship right there. Can you talk a little bit about the dynamic on that team? Because it, it sounds like 
you like to push players into a very much a leadership role oh. to lead the rest of the team. You're not necessarily at, at the helm, but behind steering the ship that's really being motored by by the players that you you found. Well, and that but and, and that that part was not just about golf. That was a part of life. You know, I had. Uh, unlike a lot of coaches nowadays who hand out a, a rule book, you know, these are the team rules. I had three rules. Number one, respect your parents. Number two, respect your institution. Number three, respect your teammates. Those were the rules. So, you know, a lot of coaches have rules like no drinking rules, right? How can I enforce a no drinking rule if I don't stay with them 24-7? And then they would try to hide something. If you have that rule, they would go out and they would try to hide something from you. And that's not how you build trust. So what they figured out was if we were going to go to a frat party, we would have one of the freshmen maybe would be the designated take care of your teammate guys. Um, they would go and have fun, but the freshmen would make sure that they all got home. And, and it would change. I mean, you know, even though the drinking age is 21 years old, you know how that is in college. I mean, well, it's, everybody I, understands. I was in a fraternity, so yeah. it's like you're coming over to my house yeah. at that point. I'm like, yeah, of course the freshmen are going to drive you home. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. I'll, I'll but, tell you right now, if I was on your team, I would be hanging out with James because it sounds like he was a good-looking guy that yeah. could bring a few women around. La- ladies' man. Gotta, and that's where I, I would be he following James. I'd be his wingman. His teammates. Maybe i get the yeah. leftovers. Oh, his teammates loved him for that. Yeah, oh, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> But that's, you know, back to the question about the leadership. That, that's, where, that's where it all came from. They, they did everything together. They were, they were not just a team, but they were a family. And so they knew when they got to the golf course, that, you know, the whole job, and you guys know this as coaches, but the whole job is to get your players ready to compete. And once you drop them off at the venue, pretty much you don't need to do, you shouldn't have to do anything. You did your job as a coach to get them ready. So, and that was, you know, that's what a way I thought. You know, we get to a tournament site. I'm not working on their golf swings. I'm not, I'm just clapping, patting them on the back, you know, give them a good meal. Let's go and have some fun. Because, you know, we, I worked them like a dog all week long, right? Now we're at a golf tournament. Now let's relax and have some fun. And that was, you know, that, then that's what the team would do. And they, like, you know, coach, we got this. We're ready. You've, you've coached you know, golf of really good players, not as good players. Do you, do you think that, you know, oftentimes you, you turn into more of a psychologist than an actual technician? I mean, because it with, sounds like a lot of it is just without, some mental. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, I was very fortunate early in my career to meet uh, Dr. Bob Rotella. Yeah, I love his books. Yeah. and, and is, that, a, is that your short game book? That's my short game book. Oh, Lord. Oh, a, God. Go, a lot go unconscious. <laughs> go unconscious, Jeff. <laughs> It works. It Mike actually I, works. That's what Mike and I try to do every round, too, just a different way. Uh, yeah, he, uh, I mean, Bob gave me a lot of good information. I had a player that played for me at Army uh, that was playing in the PGA Championship, and he asked me to caddy for him. This is at Southern Hills, back to the Southern Hills deal. Uh, I got a chance to go back and caddy for one of my players at Southern Hills, and he was a Bob Rotella. He and Bob were attached at the hip. And so every night after the rounds were over, Bob would, and, I, and he and I would go and have dinner. And we'd just, you know, he would talk and I would listen. Uh, and I tried to incorporate all, you know, the things that I'd learned from Bob. I, I'd, I'd taken a lot of psychology classes when I was working on my grad, when I was working on my master's degree, because I knew that you needed to get in there. You know, we talked about Wyndham Clark earlier about the struggles he has in the last round. I mean, 
that's all mental. He's got all the talent in the world, but that's a mental issue, and he's and he's just got to be taught how to overcome that. That's great. What uh, the modern era now is NIL. You know, how how would that have changed things for you? Is that something that you would just adjust to, or is this something that's kind of out of out of your realm and maybe turns you off of coaching? Uh, no, because I'm still coaching, just not at the college. Not at the level. college program. Uh, it's I'm old school. Yeah, I'm very old school, and the the high school players that I get an opportunity to work with and their parents, they totally understand that. You know, the cell phones are put away when we're practicing. The, uh, you know, it's it's my way or the highway. But but but, but I'll let you. But everything we do, I'll tell you why. And you have to understand it to the nth degree. And I will ask you to repeat it to me, and we'll do it over and over and over again until, you know, you can say it without thinking. This is why we do this, and this is why the players have had success in the past, and this is why you will have success, because you buy into the process, and you work the process, and, and you see improvement, and you go out there and you know who you are. I, I, I tell my players, and you probably do the same thing, I tell my players that the high school kids I get an opportunity to work with, when you go, when you look in the mirror, and I learned this from Gary Player, when you look at the mirror, I want you to say hello to the champion that's looking back at you. And one day when you're looking at that champion, it's going to wink at you. And you make sure you wink back. But you need to tell yourself every single day who you are. Not who you want to be, but who you are. Because it starts here in their brain, and then it moves out to, to your hands and your body in the golf club. I'm going to need to Windex my, my mirror at home just to get that ready. I'm going to bring a little mirror every time I putt. I'm at it. <laughs> You're a champion. <laughs> Don't leave it short. I'm going to take your mirror and be like, no, he's not. No, nope, I've got to take this one home too. Is it, that would be a two-way mirror. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, now you are... You know, you said you're still teaching, you know, and you, you, you just you love the game. It's not necessarily in the realm of, you know, high, high uh, competitive atmospheres where you're, you know, you're trying to win national championships. Um, you know, taking a golfer that maybe has dreams to break 80 or to, you know, maybe, you know, play some competitive golf in their, you know, club that they play at. How is it, how is it going from kind of more of the, you know, the, the program of high elite players to just trying to take more of a, a person that, doesn't have necessarily the talent, but you want to get them to where they, whatever their ambitions are. If a player has goals, I can get him there. Yeah. He's got to have goals. And, the, and those goals can't come from mom and dad. Those goals have to come from the, the, the daughter or the son. If mom and dad are pushing those goals, the kid will never succeed. Interesting. What if, what if uh, they're a little bit older and they don't, they don't ask their mom and dad? <laughs> yeah, say 41 years old. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I thought you might ask me this question. I was thinking about this in a way. Yeah. And it'd be because of the name of the show. Yeah. And I, I tell you, if, if all the people listening that are working so hard to break 80 would stop, stop hitting balls in the driving range and go spend time around the putting green, they'd break 80 because that's where all the strokes really lie. And that's short, that's chipping and two, right? Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Chipping and wedges and bunker shots. And, and I, I, one of the things I tell all my players is when they're within 30 yards of the green, they only have one goal. And a normal player is going to say, and you ask, ask your players, what's your goal from here? They go, well, I want to get it close enough to be able to make my putt. You get no bonus points for getting it close. There's no bonus. 
The goal is to make it. The goal is to make it. And if you don't make it, guess what? You're close. So your focus is on how do I get this ball to get in the hole because the guy with the lowest score wins or the girl with the lowest score wins. Getting in close means nothing. And you got to change that mindset. And you, you change that with your players in high school. And now all of a sudden the short game becomes fun because now they have contests instead of who can get them the close. How many can you make? There's nine holes in the screen. How many shots can you make on here if we go around this nine holes four times? Tim and I are big fans of the Ben Hogan uh, idea that putting should be half a stroke. <laughs> not a full stroke. Except like, not on this last round that we played together. There, there it counted as a full stroke on 18, but uh, all the other greens. I, I totally understand. Ben, ben was not a good putter. I suppose, I, I don't know if you want to do last question. Mine well, was going to be around right. what, the, what the future held for you. Uh, it, the next ambition, you're, you're obviously an ambition guy, uh, ambitious guy from starting golf teams from scratch. Um, what the next five, ten years for you look like, as this was an interview, as we alluded to at the very start, and we needed the CV when you came on. Well, I, 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 my, my passion is still to get young players the opportunity to play at the very highest level they can. And, and so uh, I, I'm not a marketer. I don't go out and, you know, put billboards up. Um, but I wait for players to call me and call me or send me an email and tell me th what their goals are. And my goal is to get them to a nationally competitive team and give them an opportunity to win a national championship. But the bottom line is this. I want them to have to make a decision, male or female. I want them to have to make a decision when they graduate from college. Do I continue to play this game at the very highest level or do I become an entrepreneur or whatever else their major? I want them to have to make that decision. You do what you need to do, but I want to put you in a position for you to have to make that decision. And it's kind of interesting. Aaron Barber, who played for me years ago, came to school to be an actuary. And he graduated and played on the PGA Tour for three years until I got injured. Now, <laughs> there's a big difference between an actuary and playing on the PGA Tour. But he had the opportunity to make a decision by the time he graduated. That's great. Well, I can tell you what, we could probably talk to you for a long time. You've got a lot of stories, and we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, maybe we'll have to reconnect and do a segment, too, at some point. And, I love uh, talking golf. So anything else, boys, before you wrap up? I don't think so. No, that was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, for, right, coming thanks on. for coming on. John. I want to thank you so much for inviting me. I had a, I had a ball. Thanks a lot. Well, welcome back, Break 80 listeners here at the Minnesota Golf Show. We have... Matt Stang on with us, one of the co-founders of Swanee's, one of the premier golf apparel brands of Minnesota. But actually, they didn't start in apparel necessarily. They started with one of the best commercials I've ever seen for a Kickstarter. <laughs> and $22,000 later of your important investment out there came out with the first, it, it, it was more of a slide, yeah, the first golf slide. It was. And before we even get into that, you had a nickname on your website. Oh, yeah. What is that that's about? That's a tough start. What is that? Yeah, yeah welcome. <laughs> Tim welcome always, welcome Tim to the Break 80 Pod. Tim wow. always starts low and then brings us <laughs> right. our way up. That'll so. work. Start from the bottom. Uh, we'll just say I was 24 and, you know, living in the city and single. You, that's you know, how we got the Barclays nickname. You can change the internet. Th that's, you yeah, can that's rewrite. True. 
you can make history on the internet, and then you can change and, and do whatever you want. <laughs> Nobody's supposed to find that page. Like that's <laughs> welcome to the deep brain diver. Deep diver. Yeah. Deep yeah. The, but in, into into the originations this one because we're going to get into style later. But yeah. we gotta we gotta hear how this thing started. Yeah. Uh, so it was the Kickstarter. We actually kind of debuted here at the Minnesota Golf Show, so it's fun to come back. You know nine years later now um just hopping out of a booth with the twin cities golf guys and having sandals break apart and trying to sell them to people which <laughs> is exactly what you're looking for you know uh but yeah so, so started the brand with sandals um not a terrible idea in in theory in practice it was it was a terrible idea uh, making them out of a basement in como and uh, we had no background in footwear or apparel and uh, a lot of capital expenses trying to make shoes and we don't know how to do it um that it we had to pivot pretty quick but uh yeah two years in pivoted to apparel once our go-to-market strategy was always selling into golf courses and so uh, essentially we sold those sandals into 15 courses around the twin cities and they did not sell through to the customer i was gonna surprisingly say in, in minnesota I, yep, i'm, I'm right. wondering back how do you originate with sandals in a state where it's unusable for golf for six months and barefoot it's unusable for for barefoot conditions for eight months isn't that the truth uh yeah i played mostly barefoot golf and so that was sort okay. of the inspiration to to go with that once you know stop playing half competitively post high school college i was like all right we're gonna take the game a lot less seriously and that brought out the sandals but yeah the the sandals did not sell through well and so we realized to have any scalability of a brand we had to pivot to apparel and tried to find our niche within the space of of modern and affordable golf apparel which we didn't feel like was really out there at the time and bring us through some of those design principles what what did you because we're, we're in this emerging market of these bold brands um within the golf apparel industry yep and and what really sets you guys apart what your vision was for the the company as you made this pivot from sandals into polos yeah hoodies i love the waffle by the, nice. the way thank you that's yeah yeah that's fantastic that, that's great what's what's funny is i just tried that piece on for the first we've had it for a year and it's our best-selling piece online i just tried it on for the first time at the minute at the pga show two weeks ago in florida and i was like this is incredible like no wonder <laughs> this is our best seller <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, what I should have done, I thought about this late last night. I was going to bring one of our original polo designs, and it, it is a specimen. It is, you know, three guys that were 24 and had no business designing golf clothes uh, at the time. We, um, the thesis for the brand was was modern and affordable apparel. And we got lucky, I think, because we started a little bit earlier on in, in terms of the golf trend now now moving in that direction, especially with fashion. Um, but we also got lucky because we were designing for ourselves. We we didn't have to go find a consumer group to figure out what what they liked because at the end of the day it was you know um, guys in their in their mid to late twenties by that point trying to come up with apparel and designs that we liked. So that made it a lot easier. Um, then we went out and hired one of the wives of one of our, uh, golf pros here in Minnesota who had moved to Colorado and she's still with us today. Today, she's our lead designer, Marisha. Um, and she does an awesome job kind of curating the designs, curating the brand and what we're going to come up with for each season. And that, that Swanee's logo, uniquely Minnesotan. Very Minnesotan. How did that come about? 
And second question, is it duck-duck uh, gray duck or is it duck-duck goose? Because I know it's a swan, but it's close enough. Yeah, I'm a duck-duck gray duck oh, guy. No. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. Yes. I, don't, I don't know what that says. Both of you two, too? You're from yeah. Iowa. Yeah. Just Tim. That, that says it all. There is no gray right? duck. <laughs> we, we say that a lot with Tim. That's... I'm a soft, southern, I'm yeah, a soft yeah, southerner. You are hey. soft. <laughs> Where in Iowa? Uh, Davenport, Iowa. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to watch as much Caitlin Clark basketball as I can. Oh, yeah. Oh. My brother lives in West Des Moines. And Do you have a daughter? Yeah, she's That's one. That's why. There you, there you go. You got to exactly start developing right. that. Yep. Yep. Um, coach a little basketball on the side. Kind of so with, uh, with the logo. I, I was just going to ask one thing. In everybody's story that, that we have, you know, we all have stories. And in your Swanee story, there had to be a moment of uh, a significant commitment where it's like, you know what? I've, we're going to do this. You, you know, whether it's fail or, or succeed, there had to be that moment at some point where you decided, you know what, we're in. Do you remember that for you guys? Or was it a kind of a culmination of just baby steps? It was a lot of baby steps. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, that moment doesn't spring to mind for me, I guess. So that might, that might mean it wasn't there for us, but it was a ton of little milestones along the way. Um, moving out of the parents' basement into a real warehouse, uh, actually getting our first, like, real booth at the PGA show in Orlando, uh, buying our first embroidery machine so that we could. We're, we're mainly wholesale-driven, so it's a lot of uh, selling to a lot of golf courses that then resell the brand, and most of them want their logo on the sleeve or, or on the apparel, so then we had to buy an embroidery machine so we could figure out how to, how to do that. Um, maybe we... we getting started it was it was we had to figure out all the back end stuff to support building a brand um design warehouse and sales kind of being the the primary three and we brought up my college buddy who's lived in chicago to run our warehouse and we we're paying him this is 2019 i think uh like 36 grand a year to come up here and do it we're just like just take a shot on us mm-hmm. um so i think th- that could have been it he was probably like employee number six or seven and he's still with us, and um, yeah, getting somebody to like relocate and come up for for a, you know a little amount of money to take a shot on us, but a lot of little milestones along the way. Uh, and to the to the logo question, the third co-founder's last name is Swanson, and uh, so did you guys arm wrestle for that ran, then, or ran what? With it. We, had, la- we had so many bad ideas before okay. it that we were just like, let's go. Uh, my last name's Stang, but yeah. Oh, the Stang oh, could have yeah. been a horse. Could have been a Mustang. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yes. Yeah, that wouldn't have think. been that wouldn't have been as Minnesotan though. You'd have True. to move out to Colorado. So getting started, like, I, an alarming number of our online orders had some variation of the last name Swan, Swan, Swanson, Swanee, Swimmy, Swammy, yep, all, Samsonite, all of that. All of that. <laughs> exactly. Like, ooh, this is yeah. This we need a we need, we need a following that's outside of the derivation of of Swan from their last name. I'm curious too, just because it's it's a Minnesota branded company. We're not known for a long playing season here. How have sales been across the the rest of the nation? Where obviously swans live everywhere, but the idea of <laughs> I'm stuck on the swan. It, no, it's 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 a northern it's a northern golf brand. I'm wondering how you got into because I've seen you guys in Florida. I've swans seen you guys migrate, Tim. That, so did know. the brand, and that's or, what I'm asking. How did the brand <laughs> migrate <laughs> south? Okay. Thank you for tying that in. How did this brand well migrate south uh, from 
its yeah. origination here in Minnesota. Yeah, well played. Uh, so we hire Adam and I were our, uh, as as co-founders were the first sales reps, and so we tried to build. We built up like maybe seventy five courses around the Midwest, and then would go travel down to Texas or Arizona or California or Florida, and outside of the Midwest at the start. You know, I remember like a sales trip to Arizona where we heard no from 14 out of 15 golf courses. You're going back to the drawing board like, how do we do one this? Out of, like, one out this of 15 is, feels good, though. Uh, well, yeah. And then you're like, that, that, Focus on the positive. that sales order was for $200, and we only spent $100 each to fly down here, <laughs> drive around. So, like, it wasn't that. We didn't lose that much money on it. That's a write-off. But Did you play some golf? A <laughs> no, and if, no, we didn't play golf. We were just, <laughs> no. we just grinding. We were on the road. Um but we had to figure out a way to replicate being in golf courses outside of the Midwest. So we hired two sales reps. Uh, one moved him down to Arizona from here, and then another one, uh, who was another Evan Scholar with, with me that uh, was our sales rep in like Chicago and Indiana. And so they were the first kind of sales reps to go try and replicate that elsewhere. And from there, had a little bit of success, just kept hiring more sales reps and different well, geographies. You were an Evan Scholar? An Evan Scholar, yep. Uh, we're big Western Golf Association guys. For, nice. the, for the listeners that don't know, an Evan Scholar is, is someone that has caddy experience on a very prominent golf course uh, that's been nominated for a national scholarship that then is is featured at the Western Open, now the BMW. Yep. Um, oh my goodness, that is a prestigious award. Where did, where were you Where were you caddy. when you, yeah. Yeah, North Oaks. Yeah. And then went to the University of wow. Minnesota. Just hit it away from the white stakes that there's yeah. apparently are everywhere. That are everywhere. I can uh, no I can attest to it. some big numbers at the, at the 2016 State Am. No <laughs> there's uh, folks. There's no such thing as in course OB. You just it, it, all those white stakes are removable. Yeah. Just go up and drop so, it. I want to ask sure. you know as a as a golf brand, it just seems like it's you know fashion. If we go back to certain years, it just always changes. Do you consider Swanee's like a forward thinking when you're trying to get out ahead or do you kind of see where um, you know oh these colors are starting to get sold a lot now let's put our stamp on that and and what we what we think of it or do you just kind of go on what you want to do like are you just kind of ah, let's just do this you know hoodie for example is yeah. something that's really blown up over all the last golf four hoodies, of us right? are wearing them, yeah. so so like is that something that you just count kind of, hoodies are going now let's get our version of that out yeah you're yeah. you trying to get ahead of everybody and be that it's a you little know. of both. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, a lot of historical data, and it, that's a little easier cause for us because we're so wholesale driven. So we can look at what, you know, all of our golf courses and retailers are pre-booking for the next season, and then we're, you know, so if it's if it's now, well, let's say it's it's last fall, right? We're getting all those orders in from golf courses and retailers for this spring. We're able to say, okay, they ordered this mix. We're meantime designing spring twenty-five, and able to say, okay, here's what. We already saw for 2024. Now we can incorporate that into 2025. So a fair amount of historical data and then trying to incorporate, yeah, where do we think things are going? We made a switch this year a little bit more so in 2025 from, a, from we weren't dominated by, by loud large prints at all, but it was uh, we made a decision to go a lot um, smaller percentage of our collection was going to be those loud large prints and a lot more subtle. Um, and there's a lot of people playing in that space now from Bad Birdie and the Wagle guys over here who do great stuff. Um, and so it's getting a little bit more saturated and it's trying to figure out, all right, how can we maintain our brand and, yeah, can kind of continue to look to the future to see what we think is going to make sense. And fast fashion's become a thing over the last five, seven years, yeah. kind of the, the 
the take and, and disposable buy every year. Um, how have you guys changed your model to, you almost have to re-up every single season. There's a new, a new brand coming up, a yep. new idea coming up. Where do you find inspiration year after year? Yeah, for us, it's, it's trying to stick to and add to the core things we do really well. So we are known for doing layers really well. Um, our three best-selling products are online, online are different hoodies. Uh, and we carry those each in probably like six different colorways. So it's, you know, we started with one hoodie, our Van Dyke, and then we added our Ivy hoodie after Ivy, the, the co-founder, and then added our Camden hoodie that, that with the waffle material that we were just talking about. Um, so being able to add to those best sellers uh, and then add categories and kind of continue pushing the brand into new areas. So we, we doubled down on women's for this year. We came out with two collections as opposed to just doing one in the past. We added juniors girls. We added juniors boys. We added joggers. Um, we're redoing our shorts for 2025. So kind of continuing to slowly build out those product categories for the brand so that we can, yeah, build more brand awareness, get into more space. Joggers, huh? I joggers. Love, I love that. that. Oh, man. Tim yep. wears some that are more like They're capris. Capris, yeah. I was, I was I, just told to set you up for that. That's <laughs> why we locked up. I, I know that we're on a podcast, but listeners, I have great ankles. Top, <laughs> top 10 out of 10 ankles. <laughs> they look great on you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. How about this question? Money aside, if you could sponsor that you think just by watching them, one one player, whether it be Liv or yeah. PGA, like, Kyle, that guy would look really sweet in Swannies. Like, that guy's my guy. Yeah. You know, obviously, the levels of affordability to different people. Yep. We'll, we'll put that out the window. Okay. We'll preface this. We're, we're highly Tiger affordable. doesn't count. Yep. You know, that's that's uh, that's too easy. Um, who would it be? We. This is a great question because we're – just talking about this and in the fall we were trying to figure out if we if we there was anybody yeah we wanted to take a run at uh so hit the gala would be the guy oh, sweet yep and uh well we got a little we got a little in there <laughs> okay there we are it's college roommate there we are we're not roommates but yeah, yeah, yeah. um it's funny because i i saw this is the kind of personality he has he was at the 3m on the range okay. and i w- i was there it's like on a monday or tuesday just you know, getting just kind of, you know, get my foot in the door and talking to some guys. Yep. I watch him hit balls. He, he grabs a, he maybe hit three wedges. Now, I'm, granted, the guy next to him is Billy Horschel. He's both meticulous, yeah. hitting a wedge, analyzing all the data. Sahith rips out, just takes a sandwich, rips like three shots. All right, puts that away. Gets the driver out next. Pulls one so bad that he, I think he hit the Wilson staff truck. <laughs> Makes, you know, cuts a couple cuts, hits, yeah. a, pulls another one. So double cross himself multiple times. Sweet. Just smiles, puts that. <laughs> Says we're good. Then he we're starts set. firing. I mean, it's just like the, the, you could just tell that he's, you know, he, he doesn't put too much into everything. He's, yeah. he's very much in the moment. Very loose, very kind of fun, yeah. fun you guy. Need to, if, if you get him. You need to bring back the uh, the sandals because yeah, he would be he would be great for the slides. Well, three more years down the line, like now, guys are wearing hoodies on tour. Uh, you maybe slides. Sa- right slides for yeah. the live. They're just in Mayakoba. Uh, there's a new play. There's a new PGA Tour event in Myrtle Beach. I couldn't okay. think of a better place for yep. slides. Yep. Timmy oh, and I course. have a guy though for you, man of the people. Foxy Ryan Fox. This oh, guy man. just a tank on him. He, he, Do you have ex, ex special sizes? Special sizes. That guy's our guy. This this goes into my next question. I worked at a golf course for for a while, and back in the day, from from the ownership that I worked with, 
the different sizing packages you could purchase at a golf course had different names. And the Midwest sizing package, <laughs> as it was named, had zero smalls and like 17 extra larges. Yeah. And I'm wondering, are there named sizing packages as you sell to golf courses? Are they specified by region? That's and what funny. do those look like? We don't do that. Okay. Um, yeah, we let the course choose their size run what, what fits best for them. But that's pretty funny. I haven't heard of that before. The Midwest one the was mid- like, oh, yeah. my God, I can't even. See a little bit. These are ponchos right <laughs> yeah. now. I cannot right. tell you how many times last year I heard Tim complain <laughs> that the pro shop doesn't have a Holderness and Burn small. Yep, yep. <laughs> What what do you um, when you think like what do you want Swanee's to be known for as a brand? I know you talked about modern and affordable. Is that that's yeah. your phrase? Yep. But like when people, you know, try it on or you know this vision of you know a little bit deeper. What what do you like? What do you want people to think of when they think of Swanee's? Yeah. The the two things outside of that kind of where we fit into the market from from modern affordability. So the two things on top of that, like we talk about a lot internally, are inclusive and trying to just continue to push the game to more people whether i think for us it was it was important to bring out more women's and add juniors girls and boys to kind of yeah put our put our uh you can say grow the game if you want <laughs> no <laughs> but to, to from what we want to do as a brand yeah, to put our yeah, yeah. Um, you know that out there from our product standpoint um, so that's big. And then environmental sustainability is a huge passion of Adam. Okay, that's um, what I, I, I remember seeing something about you guys with that. You want to explain yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, he was a water engineering major, and we've been able to incorporate that into the brand more as well. But we, over 60% of the material that we use and over in total, and then over 90% in polo, or yeah, in polos, uh, is reprieve. And so it's a, it's a material made from recycled water bottles. Eight recycled water bottles go into one polo. So that's been, um, you know, a, a huge part of making the brand more sustainable. We offset all of our shipping from a carbon aspect. So we're putting um, money back into carbon neutral pro- uh, projects across the globe. And then all of our packaging is biodegradable uh, and or compostable. Um, so, yeah, try and, trying to add that to each, you know, kind of component of our supply chain. How, so how, do, you, how do you do that on a carbon tax standpoint? Do you? Do you plant more trees at North Oaks? More trees at North Oaks. Yeah, I think yeah. I think the current the current project that I see when we pay for it is either in India or China or somewhere. Um, it's a company called Green Story, and then they uh, calculate your carbon footprint from your supply chain and um, what you then need to pay to offset that, basically. So it makes it it makes it super easy. When it comes to golf, I'm trying to go the opposite here. We want every tree gone. <laughs> Off the course. Not, there's no such thing as a tree on a golf course. Mike no wants all the carbon. No trees. <laughs> Just carbon golf. Uh, so I got a question for you. You guys have grown pretty big. You're at the, was this your first year at the PGA show in Orlando? Uh, seventh. So, oh, you've been down there a bunch. Yeah. Oh, wow. We, st- we started with a, a booth where we were building IKEA furniture on the first day at like 11 o'clock as people are passing by. So it, it, it was a tiny booth, and now we've got a, a – a good space, so it's fun. It's and you're at the job. waste management this week, right? Yep, yep. The merch, tent? merch tent at the waste management. Nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious because fashion right now really follows previous designs. If you have a favorite fashion decade for golf, because uh, I think back of the, the 20s with the Hagen or the 50s, 60s with, with Ben Hogan, yeah. and you get into the bell bottoms with Nicholas. If you think back nostalgically on anything, if we might see one of those pop nostalgic up? drops, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe Payne Stewart 
Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe go that way. That'd be appropriate for, that, uh, for now, football. Now, is that is that close enough to the knee for you? Yeah, on, knickers. On you could rock on the knickers? <laughs> I got great knees. Yeah. <laughs> great knees, too. Great knees. Got great everything. <laughs> well, we anything before we wrap up here, boys? No, anything just else? keep up the great work. It's good stuff. We're okay. excited to see what you guys do in the and future. And, folks, please check out Swanies online at swanies.com. .co. No, ma- no M at the end of it. Swannies.com was taken. Really? Yeah, oh, yep. Oh, man. It's like Live Golf. They couldn't even uh, use their Twitter handle because some 14-year-old girl had it. Yep. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> the best brands well. can't get the .com. They have to go CO. So Swannies.co and those hoodies are so uh, fire. The waffle, the waffle looks great. Yeah, well, you guys, it. You guys represent uh, Minnesota well, and Thank we're, we're hoping that you guys keep it going. So Thank you. Thanks no. for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. It was a blast. Thank you. Maybe today's the day I brigade it. Want the ball to draw, but it keeps on fading. No OB and no bogeys. I gotta keep it on the 80 as the gold Would you hit it on one? Straight up the gut, baby. Now I got a wedge on my short game cravings. Little bit of edge on the sport makes gravy. So punch out the rough and tune to break 80. Break 80. Break 80. Break 80. Break 80.